2: Thanks for joining us for our January edition of Three Squares. Hard to believe it's almost February already. Where did the first part of the year go? Welcome, welcome. We are thrilled you are with us. I'm Charlie Arnott with the Center for Food Integrity and Look East, dedicated to keeping the food system trustworthy, and my co-hosts, Kevin Ryan and Susan Schwali.
1: Susan Schwali, I'm with Circana. I lead the Food and Beverage Consumption Practice uh, here at Circana, We are leading advisor in the complexity of consumer behavior.
0: And I'm Kevin Ryan with uh, Malachite Strategy and Research, helping CPG and food service companies with the front end of strategy. And And once again,
2: as always, we have an amazing guest. He's uh, a a return guest, so we're thrilled when anybody agrees to come back more than once. So Susan, why don't you do the honors of
3: introducing Locke?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is a great honor. I've been worked with Locke, what is it now, like six or seven years? I think it's almost
3: closer to 10.
1: Is it? Yeah. So... Um, Locke started his own consultancy last year, but it's continuing um, in his um, expertise around qualitative insights that, well, Locke, I should let you describe what BrainWorks does, but here, let me read the official company line and then you can you can uh, explain it to us. So BrainWork is a consumer research and strategy consultancy focusing on qualitative insights derived from observed marketplace behavior with an emphasis on creating actionable and client-relevant trend forecasting. And I can tell you how we work together is on that trend forecasting along with the consumer data and eating patterns in America. So it's Locke, welcome to welcome to the show.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Uh yeah, it's great to be back. Um, you know, it's been an interesting ride. You know, we really, whenever we set out to create brain work, it was sort of looking at what was what we felt was missing in the qualitative space. And especially with the rise of big data, and then now we're starting to see people mention and whisper this synthetic data through AI. We were like, it feels like there's something uniquely missing in the qualitative view. So we set out to figure out how we could tell a qualitative research story that was more about the consumer narrative and how the consumer narrative of their day-to-day life impacts categories, impacts culture, events, brands, And then the fun part of that is going back to our clients and saying, okay, here's the consumer narrative. Let's figure out how you play into it. You know, where do you intersect in that day-to-day life of the consumer rather than, you know, trying to force it to happen? So it's sort of like we look at the way we approach everything almost as either like a short story or a novel of how the consumer engages with a category or a trend or whatever the the client objective may be.
1: Yeah, I... I love the work that you do, and I would encourage everyone check out Brainwork, um, b r a i n w r k. dot co online. And one of the things we want to talk about with with Lock today is that Brainwork put out their twenty twenty four predictions. Now we are not going to do a top ten trend list here. We've actually curated three different areas um, that we feel are going to impact the food and beverage industry. So actually, Charlie, I think I'm. I think you kind of have the first um, I do. I question. do.
2: Yes, yes. So, so Locke, I am a uh, a fan, perhaps an obsessed fan with Costco. I was going to say, that's cutting mm-hmm. it lightly. That's Yeah, that is lightly. cutting it lightly. <laughs> so yeah. most of my clothes and, and nearly all of my food comes from Costco, and I get a great deal of grief, particularly for the clothes part. But that's okay. I'm all right with that. So uh, we know that retailers are, are focusing on balancing quality and value. But how are consumers rethinking brand loyalty when they're also trying to figure out how we balance inflation with shrinkflation?
3: Yeah. So, well, first off, uh, you know, the big question is, is, is the Costco hot dog safe? And as of mm. right now, you know, we're still it's, in the, in the it's, realm it's, where the price it's is almost holy. Hot so hot we got
2: to be careful there.
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's really interesting to think about shrinkflation and inflation because, While they're both tied together, there's two very different mindsets that we're seeing happen. On the shrinkflation side, you're seeing a lot of online communities across social media, across Reddit, across web forums develop specifically to witch hunt and call out brands for what they're doing. Hmm. Um, And it's gone from being sort of this accepted reality during the pandemic of, of course, there's supply chain issues. We understand, you know, things are changing to now where there's a consumer animosity that's building around this idea of, you know, whenever they see the brands repackage something and then they check the ounce size and it's changed, you know, they're like, okay, they're trying to like get one over on us. And that's been a really interesting thing to watch uh, because whenever we look at the other side of the coin with inflation, we're seeing a similar but also different story emerge. Around this idea, on one hand, you know, I I thought it was incredible to watch the holiday season and seeing the amount of consumers going to multiple stores to fulfill what they needed for holiday meals, rather than going to a single store, getting it all out of the way and then moving on. You know, we've we've reentered the sort of like coupon era of people looking at who has the best values or getting more into the bulk uh, big box stores, uh, you know, in order to take advantage of that bulk purchase the interesting thing is the idea and this term has been around a couple years but we're seeing it grow really because of a combination of inflation and shrinkflation of the rise of the ingredient only household Hmm. so the idea there is that the consumer is no longer buying snack foods sodas whatever because the price point is too high and they're either cutting that out of the cost of their grocery spend completely, or they're reinvesting it in ingredients they normally wouldn't buy that they haven't bought before in order to make some of those snack foods on their own because buying the raw ingredients, they can make more for the money. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to see that sort of grow.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, so then what's the recommendation if you're a retailer or you're a CPG and you're forced with the reality of having to rationalize costs and package size, do you be more transparent? I mean, what's the recommendation if you're in that situation and you really aren't in a position
3: to do anything else? It's a tough scenario. And I think that the transparency um, is really important right now in a different type of transparency. You know, we've used transparency under the lens of green for years. And I think now it's more of just an honesty transparency of like, Hey, this cost has to go up because of this, or we're trying to like offset it by changing something in this process. Uh, because right now, for whatever the reason may be, there's a lot of consumer animosity building. You know, uh, one of the ones that I just saw the other day that was really uh, interesting to look at was, um, I guess, Shake and Bake has removed the bag mm-hmm. from the you know the Shake and Bake kit, and whatever the reason may be for doing that, whether it's to save money or it's a shrinkflation case, you know, five years ago something like that could have been spun as a green movement thing of getting rid of plastic. But whatever the scenario may be consumers are now going this is an issue with shrinkflation and you're trying to do one over on me wow. you know so it's just it's interesting because the the built-in animosity right now that's developing because of all of this because it's hitting so many different segments is just everyone is going to that immediate aggressive stance on it
1: was hmm. it, was it Car- carrefour for that um isn't carrying pepsi yeah. PepsiCo yes. snacks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, yeah, they because they put to a to make, tag on the pass. shelf that said that the prices are too, I mean, they're actually taking a stand. Oh,
3: they're taking it off the shelf.
1: Multinational. Yeah. And that's, a, that's the first I had heard of that. I, I, so I think what I'm hearing you say is that this is reaching kind of a tipping, a breaking point.
3: Yeah. And, you know, we, we learned in the 08 recession with behavior that, you know, we still had what they called was the lipstick effect where consumers would sort of shuffle their spending around to buy that one special item, you know, and it didn't have to be expensive, but it was that one thing that was, you know, whether it's Coca-Cola or a specific type of chocolate, you know, they would be willing to shuffle the cost around in order to make that work. And now with inflation, because even though splurges are getting to the point where they're not reasonable or rational, that lipstick effect for this round of cost is, is disappearing. You know that's that's really crazy for us to look at, um, because we've always seen that sort of like treat yourself splurge mentality exist, and now people are even going whoa 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 whoa. this is even too much.
2: Yeah, Yeah, that's where the Costco hot dog comes in. Yep, still at that same price point. And and am I the only one who who gets an immediate mental image of Florence Henderson when you say shake and
0: bake? Or I do. Yeah, you do. And canola oil. Yeah, at least a couple of us. Yes. (laughs) Good. Lock, uh, building on what you had said before about the idea that a lot of people online are 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 you know the ones that are really speaking about this the most you know you're seeing a lot of activity there i'm curious my question's more around the role of influencers oh. and i know that that idea has been around a, a while i mean we've you know started with with youtube and 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 all that and now we're into the you know the world of tiktok what role does influencers now play Brands and has that changed? And where do you see it going? Because it seems like you don't hear as much about influencers, but then again, you do. I don't know. What's what's your thoughts there? And how does it yeah. fit for food companies?
3: So this has been a wild transition to watch because we saw in the early influencer days, you know, whenever targeting young Gen Z was a big thing, mm. brands would collaborate with influencers and they do like an LTO product or an LTO mini rollout and you know it would it would exist for a couple months and then it would go away what's happened is as influencers have figured out how to get on the manufacturing side and on the connections to the manufacturing side they've cut the the big brand of the middleman out of the equation and you're now seeing the rise of all of these influencer created driven and manufacturer backed brands they're directly competing potentially with the same brands that they collaborated with a few years ago. I think the best example to look at is to look at prime energy. Mm. You know, prime energy is such a huge thing for tweens and teens all because it's being backed by influencers. And now it's eating a share of, you know, Gatorade's core demographic. And I don't think anyone could have predicted that happening, but You know, the same thing's happening in skincare and in beauty. And, you know, it happened with the Mr. Beast bars. Mm -hmm. Suddenly these huge legacy brands are competing with teenagers for attention. And that was something that I don't think anyone really predicted. Yeah. I wonder how much of it is. And and you tell
0: me this is true. But I remember hearing years ago that for liquor companies that because the bottle was so attractive on the shelf that they would develop the bottle first and then they would develop what was going to go in it. And when I look at these influencers, I'm thinking they're bringing the, they're bringing the, the, the attention first, and then they have, okay, what are we going to make behind it? And they, they can pull <laughs> yeah. that in. I don't know. That's the first thing that comes to my head. I mean, does that kind of speak to the idea that shows you how much attention that they can draw how much pull they have that they can be that kind of leader um, when it comes to these categories.
3: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's wild to look because, you know, we've entered such an interesting position with influencers and attention and that idea of monetized attention, mm. that, you know, traditional celebrities, you know, you, you, you know, you will always see the Elizabeth Taylor diamonds commercial, you know, right. but, but that idea of like big celebrities, traditional celebrities backing products was almost sort of like an unheard of like faux pas in the yeah. old world celebrity. Versus yeah. influencers are all about the paycheck. Yeah. And they are willing, you know, even an influencer that has a hundred followers, they have merch because they figured out how to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is these guys, it's not like a, a no shame scenario. They just are willing to do whatever it takes to keep the money coming in. And they're looking at every option available. So they're, you know, that's why this is happening. And it's, it's just been really fascinating to watch because it came kind of out of left field. Totally.
1: Yeah, definitely a a shifting place as, as as you guys all know on the call, I have a 12, almost 13 year old. So I have many times had to take him to Walmart to scout the Mr. Beast bars because they were out of stock a lot. Mm -hmm. So we, I mean, they're sold out. We had to try the Mr. Beast burger. And I think in the case of the bars, at least they launched, they were popular, but they, they kind of tweaked them. Hmm. maybe had to improve them to your point of put it out there, get people buy for the name and then, and then maybe deal with the product that's actually inside the wrapper. Anyway. So Locke, one of the things that we have talked about and collaborated a lot over the years um, is watching this trend, even before the pandemic of consumers, just doing more things in at home,
3: Mm -hmm.
1: even before the pandemic, people were sourcing more of their meals. Um, at home, bringing restaurant meals into the home versus actual dining on premise. And there was also a trend towards entertaining more. There was this whole cocooning thing, right? Yep. We had all these Danish and Scandinavian terms for it. And then the pandemic just like, of course, accelerated that. And so what I'm curious is what you're seeing is how is this trend evolving? Cause I can tell you the numbers say we're still skewed 2% more of our meals. Source from home, but what are you seeing in this whole home trend? Are we gonna are we gonna swing back the other way and leave our house or are we gonna stay?
3: So this is why I love being in the world of behavior, because this is one of those great sort of domino effects of seeing, as you mentioned, all of these things that have led up to where we are now with people's acceptance of doing this. And you know, for us, there's multiple new factors coming into play here. Obviously, the you know, inflation has a factor here and tipping culture have a factor here on where your money is going, but then looking at the sober curious moment movement and that idea of, I don't need to go somewhere. That's a bar um, because I don't drink, you know, and that's a, a big thing we're seeing with Gen Z is they're drinking less. So there's another group that is staying at home more. And then as we see cannabis legalization, you know, that's another thing that's happening that we're seeing people say, well, I can just entertain myself at home um, rather than going out. But the the big one for us that I think is really unique and significant is, and I hate to use uh, slang terms, but I'm going to have to use a couple here. So remember the years of the millennial uh, flag wave of YOLO and FOMO, you know, huh? you only live once and the fear of missing out. Um, both of those were very much focused around experiences and exchanges and purchases, you know, oh, I have to get this. It's artificial scarcity. I have to do this. I have to. And what we're seeing now is the term has been kind of in the dust for a while, but there is a new sort of attitude emerging that's called the joy of missing out. So it's JOMO. Wow. And what's really unique about it is is we're seeing more accounts starting to pop up online of people trying to normalize social media and that idea that like, it's okay to have a nine to five, it's okay if your dog's your best friend, you know, and, in this whole idea of making it more comfortable is that it's much more intrinsic than that idea of like, Hey, you only live once I should go do this. It's this idea of being content with what you have and letting that not get, you know, letting the need for more not get in the way of that. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to watch sort of this behavioral mindset emerge around that idea of it's okay to have what you have and not want more. Um, you know, after a decade of everything being so consume, consume, experience experience to see concern, consumers pulling back and kind of going, wait a minute, you know, we we have enough. We should be happy with that.
0: It reminds me of, uh, you know, the comedian, John Mullaney has a great line. He's like canceling plans is like heroin <laughs> yeah. and the feeling you get, but the fact that that resonates with a lot of people. And that, I mean, he yeah. is a very popular comedian mm-hmm. with the younger generation yeah. speaks to this idea of like, uh, staying home, you know, being, being with yourself and the acceptance of that and how great that could feel. Yeah. That really says something to the idea of not being part and and it's okay.
2: Yeah, in yeah. in all roads, once again, lead back to the Costco hot dog. Right, <laughs> it's okay just to be happy with I the mean, Costco hot dog and wear right? Costco clothes, Charlie. You, there you go.
3: You did see the guy that ate it for nothing, nothing but the Costco hot dog for a week, right? Like every he did meal. not. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a whole bit. He on. lost okay. weight. He lost weight. Right. Yeah, he yeah. lost weight. There did you go.
1: Just go. eat Costco hot dogs for every meal.
0: Oh, a Costco would you... diet would be amazing. Costco diet it would be. It would so be. I
1: think this is really fascinating because, I mean, I think it implies that we will continue to buy things for our home, cook more at home, be at home. And I mean, that has all kinds of implications, not only within food and beverage, but of course, across general merch. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, we've invested so heavily in a lot of things. We probably have
3: mm-hmm.
1: have reached saturation in terms of I, I have what I need for Pete's sake during the pandemic. I sound like mm-hmm. kind of obnoxious and overly privileged. I built a home gym and a home office and, yeah. you know, outfitted all this stuff. Like uh, what more do I need? That's right. pretty fascinating.
3: Yeah. And and that's, you know, it's interesting thinking back to the first topic of inflation, shrinkflation and ingredient only households. Yep. Cause that's all feeding into this as well. You know, like mm-hmm. all of these, mm-hmm. all of these things. And that's what I love about looking at trends from this perspective. It's not about looking at what's hot for, for six months. It's about looking at what's changing behavior and all of these things tie into each other. You know, and yeah. that's kind of such so, a big deal.
1: You know, one thing I would say, like to, to put this in perspective, because this is what Locke and I do. Like I have the measurement numbers and can get so far on the who, what, where, when, why. And I need some help with the why from Locke. And so what he's saying about um these trends and in the ingredient culture is we see that playing out as a decrease in volume declines in food and beverage sales. Right. And I'm constantly, the industry is constantly asking us, are Americans eating less? Americans are not eating less. And if you look at volume sales compared to the pre-pandemic, we, we are approaching where we were. We're, we're only, we're slightly elevated, but if you're always running your business and of course, looking at quarter over quarter, year over year, mm-hmm. we look like we're still decreasing. We are still normalizing out of that pandemic and we're about back where we were. So that really could tie into that feeling of that tipping a point. I, I got enough. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. we're, we're kind of stabilizing with this new normal. So it all hangs together quant and qual. And I I just love having that. You can see me spark, Locke. I love having those conversations with you. Locke,
0: I'm curious on on your side, what does this mean for food service? Because I'm seeing more restaurants that are like Mm. entertainment driven, you know, like chicken and pickle and all that. I mean, I went to a place called Flight Club in Vegas where it's like darts and food and that's different. So it's like, is that their attempt to try to do to, you know, have another reason to believe to pull them out of the house?
3: Yeah, so my business partner and I just went to a meeting Wednesday. I'm like, what day is it? Uh, Hmm. Where the guy was talking about starting a bocce ball restaurant. Yeah. And their push for it is because it's a multi-purpose scenario where people can come in, they can get authentic Italian pizza, they can come in, it's a bar, they can come in, they can play games, it's all indoors, so it's weather inclusive. And that's sort of the mentality that we're starting to see is that these places have to rethink that idea of it has to be a multi-purpose space, you know, and not go too far down the rabbit hole. But, you know, we've been looking so much at what's going on with the idea of the third space. And I feel like this is starting to tap into what that evolution of the third space has to look like, is it has to be multi-purpose. I wouldn't
0: invest in that because anyone that came up with the idea of a bocce ball restaurant should know that meatballs should be on the table as well as donut holes because should go all 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 all
1: balls all balls perfect Perfect. (laughs) i think that's right
0: well lock your insight is
2: phenomenal as always it it triggers a lot of good thinking good conversation we thank you for that we're going to transition now to the quiz which you are more than welcome to stick around for and participate Uh in Uh, Kevin always comes up with something exciting. If you're interested in giving us an idea for the quiz or another idea for a speaker or topic, you can always reach out to us at three squares, mail, the numeral three
0: squares, mail at gmail.com. Love to hear from you, Kevin, the floor is yours. All right. I always have to change it up because uh, my my colleagues here, they I think they do a lot of research ahead of time, assuming that they can guess what it's going to be. Because I'm guessing they're thinking, okay, it's either going to be January or February. It might be, you know, like a, a Groundhog Day or something mm-hmm. themed. No, I went all out. It's national food holidays in February. So crossed. Oh. So things that, you know, there's a day for everything Oh in, yeah. the, on the calendar. On so I'm going to start That's at the okay. beginning of the month. And the beginning of the month on February second is National Tater Tot Day. Oh, love the tater, tater tot! That. Yeah, love I gotta tater write tater tater. that down. So, which of the following is not not another name for the trademarked name Tater Tot? Because trademark is a trade is a trademark name. So, which of the following is not uh, not another name for it? Is it a Spud Puppies, <laughs> B Hash Bites, C Tater Gems, or D? Potato pom-poms. What was the
1: second
0: one? Uh, Hash bites.
1: Yeah, I'm going with hash bites.
0: What was was the first one again? First one was spud puppies. (laughs) I'm going to go with the first one just because. Yeah, I got to go with the
3: first one as well.
0: Actually, no, you were all wrong. It's C. Tater Gems is not a name that has tater been really? used. Yes. Well, yeah, we can start no. using that now. Potato oh, Gems, <laughs> yes. <laughs> tater Gems, no. So Spud Puppies is actually in the U.S. Cascadian Farms has Spud Puppies, uh-huh. Frozen Spud Puppies. Hash Bites is out of New Zealand, and Potato Pom Poms is out of Australia. Yeah, so, it's like if you say Super Bowl, you'll get sued. You can talk about the big game, but you can't say Super Bowl. That's right. that too is a trademark name. Although it's pretty close uh-huh. to, I, I hate to say it, but I mean, Tater Tots are so popular, it's almost close to Kleenex in it some is, ways, yeah. yeah.
1: Or zero. all
0: right exactly all right number two uh uh we're moving on to february 3rd national carrot cake day uh so uh the first carrot cake contained what unusual ingredient was it a an ivory button d a b duck or pig liver c fish stock or d a well-washed hair oh my god (laughs) Those are all horrific.
1: (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go duck or pig liver.
0: Okay. Susan's got that. I mean, anyone else could take that too, but. I was going to go with that, but I'll I'll go with the button. Okay. A button lock.
3: (laughs) Man, there's a part of me that feels like it's button, but I think I have to go with, with Susan's answer here. Okay,
0: Locke and Susan got it. it is B. The original yeah. recipe, which is from the 15th century, called for a mixture of shredded carrot, fat, eggs, spices, breadcrumbs, and liver. To be stuffed into a hollowed out carrot and then steamed or or baked. And so that is considered the,
1: moisture, the fat, right? It, yeah,
0: it was considered to be the first carrot cake. And that's where we see that carrot cake came from. Did not have so, aspect yeah. involved in it though? No, no aspect. aspect, sorry. Yeah. No. no but a lot of balance
3: of medieval humors. Yes, right, yeah. exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Next one. Uh we're moving on to February fifth, National Nutella Day. So which pair of world leaders are directly responsible for the rise of Nutella? Is it A, Napoleon and Hitler, B, Genghis Khan and JFK, C, uh, Julius Caesar and Winston Churchill, or D, Emperor Hirohito and uh, Ronald Reagan? (laughs) I'm going to go with Napoleon and Hitler. Okay. Wait, this
2: is
1: responsible for the rise of Nutella.
0: It is they are they these these two world leaders are directly responsible for the rise of Nutella. I'm going to go with D. D, uh, Emperor Hirohito and Ronald Reagan, okay?
1: What were the other There was Winston Churchill and Churchill's in
0: there somewhere, yeah. Uh Julius Caesar and Winston Churchill and I, I'm, going Genghis
1: Genghis I'm going Rome. I'm going Rome. I'm not Julius a guy, Caesar. but I'm still going Rome. R-
0: the right. Roman Empire? Right. Yeah, Roman Empire. Uh, it's uh, Charlie got it. It's it's Napoleon and Hitler. So back in 1806, Napoleon tried to freeze out the British commerce as a means to win the the, the Napoleonic War. And as a result of the blockade that he did, the cost of chocolate went through the roof. So resourceful chocolatiers started adding cho- uh, hazelnuts to the chocolate mm-hmm. to stretch it, which Came up with Gianduja, which is the the Italian hazelnut chocolate combination, and then a century later, chocolate again became expensive due to scarce uh, rationing during uh, World War II, uh, and an Italian pastry maker named Ferrero mm. used that same recipe that had been developed in 1806 to create Nutella. About that, so there you go. All right, next one. Uh, We're moving on to the 13th of February. I think we're all
1: tied, guys. Yes,
0: I believe we are. Uh, The 13th, National Punchki Day. Oh, Yes, National Punchki Day. I Uh, don't even know what Punchkis are. Susan?
1: They're jelly-filled donuts. It's it's a Polish thing. Polish? Related to life. Well, what about
2: uh, kolaches? Can I like kolaches? Uh, Uh, No, 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 that's a cookie. That's a cookie. Yeah, yeah, this is a deep
1: donut. Yeah. yeah
0: okay so Hi. this Harley. traditional polish fat tuesday filled donut is a very popular polish in polish areas of the united states uh in, including susan's backyard as well as chicago which susan spends a lot of time in as well so a lot of punch- in my in hometown P- of detroit you're, yeah and you're in punchki area <laughs> I'm in so punchki what land. is the record number of punchkis eaten, eaten in 15 minutes and they're about the size of like a, a jelly filled donut for, uh, for those that don't 15 know, 15 minutes? Are we just gonna give 15 you a number? Minutes. No. Is or, it oh. 12, 23, 31, or 44? 31. 31. Lock. What did you say? 23. Lock. 23. Lock got it. It's, wow. it's 23. Matt Holwicki of Plymouth, Michigan did it back in the 90s. He <laughs> ate 23 in 15 minutes, which is a lot. Also, small bit of trivia Punchki is the plural. A uh, Punchek is the singular. If oh, you I did not know a, that. Yeah, I didn't either until I actually looked into that number. And I was like, and oh. 15 minutes. I wonder if, who's the hot dog guy? Oh, um, what's his name? Um Joey uh Joey Chestnut. Chestnut. Yeah. Chestnut, yeah. I want to he, could, he do could do it. more. He could yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah, he could do 31. All right. Last question. National <laughs> Chili Day. So Charlie, this is so uh, this if we don't yep. get this. We're we're yep. yeah. It's February twenty second. What are the fo- which of the following is not one of the four sanctioned categories of the International Chili Society Oh so there's only four categories if you hold a chili contest that's sanctioned by the International Chili Society there's only four categories So which of the following is not home style chili a b ch- uh, chicken chili c salsa or d chili verde Chicken Chicken Chicken, chicken. Yeah uh it is B, chicken. Yes. Yeah. What's interesting. I mean, you didn't even answer, did you? No, Locke did.
3: Alexa, no, Susan did. Chicken. We all
0: yes. said chicken. We all chicken. And yeah. you all got it. You it all got can it. It can't be the chicken. Well, what's interesting, yeah. I thought, was the four categories are traditional chili, homestyle chili, chili verde, and salsa. I think it's just interesting that salsa is a category yeah,
1: that
2: within is the
0: chili. Com- it is interesting within the chili cookout. Yeah, but so, I just can't see the chili. I mean, the
2: people that would be into chili, I just can't see them doing the chicken thing. So,
0: yeah. Uh, you. I think
2: you're able to use chicken within one of the categories. Uh, Probably if it's homestyle. All right. Well, everybody, thank you so much for joining us for the January edition again of Three Squares. We are thrilled. We look forward to seeing you again in February. Again, if you'd like to reach out to us, it's 3 Squares Mail, the numeral 3SquaresMail at gmail.com. Locke, thank you as always. If you're interested in connecting with Locke, you can go to his website. It is BrainWork, but you spell it B-R-A-I-N-W-R-K so you can check it out and learn more about his great work. Have a great rest of your uh, February and we will see you again at the end of the month. Take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well,